Well, I told Josh in the first service that if you can't preach after hearing that song, then you, need to, you can't preach. You just need to figure out something else to do uh, with your life. So I'm excited to be here to preach this morning. And as we consider this passage of Scripture, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a moment in your life that was uh, a defining moment for you? Perhaps it was the birth of a child, or perhaps there was some major accomplishment in your life, or maybe there was the death of a loved one. But this, this moment was a, a signpost in your life that changed who you are and changed where you were headed in your life. For Catherine and I, that, that moment happened uh, during her accident with her horse. We had been married for just over a year, uh, and you know we were loving life, and we were uh, at New Orleans, and we were serving there, and we were studying for ministry and all these sorts of things. But when that accident happened, the Lord used it in our lives to grow us closer together in our love and our marriage than we had ever been before. He used it to grow us in our faith and our trust and our dependence upon Him like it had never happened before in our lives. He used it to teach us about the need for church family and love and support from, from a fellowship in greater ways than we had ever known before. And it was a day that changed us. In our passage of Scripture this morning, we come to just such a moment. The death of the Son of God. And in this moment, we find a turning point in human history. We find a, a turning point in redemptive history. We find a, an event that changes everything. And my prayer today is that this event would be a turning point in your life this morning, if it hasn't done so already. So if you have your Bibles open, I'd ask that you to stand in honor of God's Word if you are able. As we continue our series through Luke's Gospel into Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 49, the Word of God says this, It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, Seeing these things. Thank you. You may be seated. Today I want us to examine the death of the Son of God and its significance as a turning point in history and in your life. And the first thing that we see as we study this passage is the reason for the cross. We've been studying Luke's gospel now as a church family for about two years, as we've been going from the beginning all the way here to the end. And throughout Luke's gospel, we have heard Jesus say multiple times, I'm headed toward Jerusalem. I've set my face toward Jerusalem. 
He said things like, the Son of Man must go and to be crucified. And so all of this has been foreshadowing this moment. The day of Jesus' execution. But as we consider this event, the question that we have to ask is, why? I mean, why is He here? Why a cross? Because throughout the Gospels, Jesus has maintained His innocence. He is sinless, the spotless Lamb of God. He's done nothing to be here. He's done done nothing that would warrant death. So why the cross? And if God is all-powerful, and if God is in control of all things, then why is Jesus here? Why didn't Jesus just come off the cross? I mean, why, why doesn't Jesus just save Himself like all the crowds are taunting Him to do? It's because the cross is about dealing with sin once and for all. It's about dealing with sin once and for all. This was God's plan from before the foundation of the world to redeem a lost and fallen mankind. And I want you to notice the details that Luke includes about this event. In verse 44 and 45 he says, It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured. And so in this description, Luke is letting his readers know that something extremely unusual is happening. In fact, something unnatural is happening. The sixth hour would have been noon. And so here we are at high noon... And the sky becomes black like nighttime. And it says that it remained that way for three hours until the ninth hour, which would have been three o'clock in the afternoon. So for three hours it becomes dark like night as the sun is obscured. And critics of the scriptures will try to explain these things away by natural causes. They'll say, oh, this was just a, a solar eclipse But there's no way uh, that that could be the case. If it were a solar eclipse, first of all, I'd say God's got some pretty impeccable timing here to pull off a solar eclipse right at the time that Jesus was dying on the cross. But this couldn't have been a solar eclipse because you and I know that solar eclipses last for about six or seven minutes, not three hours. Scientists will also tell you that it's impossible for a solar eclipse to occur during a full moon, which is when the Passover occurs during the full moon. Solar eclipses happen during new moons. And so there's no way that this could have been a solar eclipse. In fact, one astronomer writes, the eclipse was not natural, but rather miraculous and contrary to nature. And that's my exact point. That what's happening here is contrary to nature. Because the Son of God is being put to death. The author of life is dying. The Creator is being killed by the created ones. 
and the whole earth is groaning under what is happening at this moment. They're like, this is not right. And everything starts to go awry here. The early church father Athanasius of Alexandria said, even on the cross... He did not hide himself from sight. Rather, he made all creation witness to the presence of its maker. And so here he is on the cross, the Son of God. And the sky turns black. In Matthew 27, 51 and 52, it says that the earth shook. The rocks were split. The tombs were open. And bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. All of the earth is like, this is not supposed to be happening. That the Son of God would would be on a cross. But why? It's because the cross was about dealing with sin once and for all. And on that cross, the Father's judgment against sin was meted out upon Christ. And His wrath and His holy anger against the sin of the world was poured out upon Jesus. And Jesus took the full cup of God's wrath against sin and He paid the debt for our wrongdoing. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul describes it like this. He's canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to this cross. And on that cross, Jesus is offering Himself as a spotless lamb to substitute for you, for me, for our sins. The punishment that was due to us, Jesus received it Himself. Peter describes it like this in 1 Peter 2.24. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. So through His death here, the wages of sin is paid in full. And by believing in Jesus Christ in His death and in His resurrection, that victory will be appropriated into our lives by faith. Our sin can be forgiven. That's the reason for the cross. That's not all that's taking place here. We see secondly that in the cross, Jesus was reconciling man back to God. Because our sin separates us from a holy God. Our our rebellion creates a chasm between us and God. Isaiah describes it like this in Isaiah 59 verse 2. He says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. So when we sin, we are rebelling against God in our lives. And so how are we then able to draw near to God again? If we're running away from Him, how are we able to come into His holy presence The psalmist asks, who can ascend upon his holy hill? And he says, he who has clean hands and who has a pure heart. And so the answer is, we can't. Because we don't have clean hands. We don't have pure hearts. So how do we come near to a holy God? We need someone to make the way 
for us. We need someone who's undefiled by sin. We need someone who is able to stand blameless before the Father. Someone who has clean hands, who has a pure heart. And there's only one person who fits that bill, and that's the Son of God. That's exactly what He does here on the cross. He paid the debt for our sin, making us clean. He credits His righteousness to us so that we can stand blameless before God. And we are then able to be reconciled to God again. The sin that separates us having been removed as far as the east is from the west and remembered no more. Now throughout the Old Testament, there was a distinct and a sharp differentiation between man and God. You find man who is, who is unclean, man who is sinful, man who is wayward. And you have God who is holy, God who is righteous, God who is pure, God who is blameless. And man is unable to come into the presence of God because he's so other than us. And this was most clearly visualized in the temple. There on the, the Temple Mount complex, you had the, the court of the Gentiles, and then the court of the, Gen, of the Jewish women, and then the court of the Jewish men. And, and inside of there, you had the, the sanctuary, you had the, the inner sanctuary where the Holy of Holies was located. And inside the Holy of Holies, you had to go inside this great large veil that, that cordoned you off from getting inside of there. And inside of there was the Ark of the Covenant where the Shekinah glory and the presence of God dwelt there in the temple. And no man could enter into the Holy of Holies except the high priest. And only once a year could he do it on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. But he couldn't just go strolling up into the Holy of Holies on that day. He had, to, he had to be ceremonially cleansed. And he would make sacrifices. And then he would come into the presence of God there in the Holy of Holies. And he would sprinkle the blood of the Lamb there on the mercy seat. And he would cry out to God to show mercy to an unclean and sinful people. And this ritual occurred year after year after year. But something different is happening on this day. In the book of Hebrews, toward the end of your New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, the author says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest that's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, then let us hold fast our confession. Because we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet was without sin. Therefore, because of that, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we would receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so here on this day... Jesus, our high priest, made an eternal sacrifice of himself. And it was a sacrifice one time for all time. And in doing so, 
He fulfilled all the requirements of the Old Testament law and sacrifices. And we have this event that occurs that Luke records here in the Gospel that's a picture of, of, this, of this work of Jesus there on the cross. It says in verse 45 that the veil of the temple was torn in two. Now Luke includes that detail because it's significant. The veil of the temple was torn. We heard that the sky was turning black, that the earth shook, that the rocks split open. And in this earthquake moment, this veil in the temple was torn in two. And that is this great heavy veil that separated the people from God within the inner sanctuary. And God was showing in a very visual way what was accomplished on the cross. That man could now come before God. That man could now be reconciled to God. We didn't need a high priest to go for us any longer because Jesus is our high priest. We didn't need uh, the blood of lambs or goats any longer because Jesus' blood is our atonement. And so we find here Jesus making the way for us. And through faith, we are forgiven of our sins. We're washed clean of our sin. His righteousness is credited to us by faith. And we can come before the throne of grace. Paul says it like this in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The the sin and the guilt and the shame has been removed and there's no condemnation and now we can come into the very presence of God. Martin Luther King Jr. says it like this, the cross is the eternal expression of the length to which God will go in order to restore broken community. So there's this reconciliation that that Jesus is doing on our behalf on the cross. And we see it even in the words of Christ on the cross. As God's judgment is being poured out upon Jesus, He's feeling the separation that's caused by sin. In Matthew 27, 46, it says, About the ninth hour, at this time, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's, that's the, that moment Jesus is suffering under the weight of our sin. And he's, he feels forsaken. He feels separated from the Father. We know that later he would cry out, It is finished. It is accomplished. Meaning that all of that work was done. That he had paid the debt in full. And that uh, the salvation of mankind was won. Then he makes one last cry. And it's a prayer of reconciliation because the debt is paid because the work is accomplished and now the son of God would return again to his father reconciled in verse 46 it says father into your hands I commit my spirit and having said this he breathed his last and this is a picture of the future for every believer Just as Jesus, our hope, breathed His last and went to be with the Father, so we, when we breathe our last, will go to be with our Father who is in heaven. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, We're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. 
And we can have that assurance because of the reconciliation of the cross. But that's not all that's taking place here. Thirdly, I want us to notice the results of the cross. Because this is some kind of phenomenon that's taking place. This is a life-changing event. This is a history-shaping moment. Just notice how it impacted everybody that's standing around as Jesus was crucified. This cross resulted in belief. In verse 47, it says, When the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. This is a hardened Roman centurion that had witnessed and participated in dozens, if not hundreds, of crucifixions over his lifetime. This wasn't his first rodeo at the crucifying cross. But there was something different about this one that caused this man to believe in Jesus and to praise God. I mean, just just let that sink in for a moment. This one that he had just put to death. He may have even joined in with the other soldiers that were mocking Jesus there at the cross. He might have been one of the soldiers that was casting lots for the clothes of Jesus. He was certainly one of the ones that were putting the cross on and the nails in his hands and feet and the spear in his side and were yelling at him and beating him. Now, this this man's testimony has changed altogether. Now he believes In John 5, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. And that's what's happening in this centurion's life at this moment. This is a man who had hung a sign mockingly above Jesus' head, the king of the Jews. And now he says, surely that's who he is. He's the Son of God. He's he's innocent. On this day, this man put his belief in Jesus and received eternal life. That's not the only results that we see taking place. This this cross resulted in contrition. In, In verse 48, it says, All the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And Luke is showing his readers here what took place in the hearts of this great crowd that had come out to see this. They came out, he says, for a spectacle. They're here to see the show. Give us the blood and guts. That's why we're here. But now all of a sudden, after they had observed what had happened, their hearts were broken. They were beating their breasts. And that's a sign of conviction. It's a sign of of contrition. As the theologian John Stott once said, before we can see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. That's what's settling in the hearts of these people. You see, what happened on that day is what happens every day all over the world as people share the story of the cross. 
as people hear the story about the death of the Son of God. You cannot hear about what Jesus did and not be moved and not be convicted because He's there because of you. He's there because of what you've done. He is there for you. And it causes you to be convicted of your sin. And to repent. And to cry out to the Son of God for forgiveness. And we find these crowds that came out to see a spectacle returning broken in spirit. We also see that this cross resulted in witness. In verse 49 it says, All of his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. And the Greek word orao is the word that Luke uses here. And it's translated as seeing in our passage, but it's, it's more than that. Uh, it literally means that they were staring at it. But, but the, uh, it means to see and to understand. To perceive. It's not just talking about they visually saw what happened. It's kind of like how we say, oh, I see. You're not, you don't mean that you see it. You mean, oh, I get it. I understand. And that's the word that Luke is using here when he says that the, the women from Galilee, his acquaintances, they, they saw what had happened and they perceived it. They understood what it meant. And something happened in the spirit of these followers of Jesus. They knew that they could not be silent about what they had seen. They had to tell the world that the Messiah had come. They, that He had died for our sins and, and that He is their life and salvation. And these, these folks here would go along the highways and the hedges and they would go all to the great cities and all to the small towns and they would go all over the world so that people would hear about what Jesus did on that day. And they would be His witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. See, this was the result of the cross question today is, what's the result of the cross going to be in your life? As we began, I said that this is the defining moment of history. The death of the Son of God. Christians, you have been witness to the miraculous saving power of Jesus in your own heart. And so is it going to result in witness? Is it going to result in living for Jesus? Is it going to result in following Him more faithfully and unashamedly? Is it going to result in you going across the street or across the city or across the world so that others would hear about the Son of God who died and rose again to save us? We can't treat this like it's some ho-hum story. This is the death of the Son of God. Has it changed your life? For others, you've never made that decision in your heart to follow after Jesus. And today you have seen the reason for the cross. Jesus is there to save you. To deal with sin once and for all. 
You've heard here about the reconciliation of the cross, that now you can have a relationship with God, and you can go to be with Him forever in heaven that He's prepared for His people. So today, will this story of the cross result in conviction in your heart? Will it result in belief in your heart? Today, will you give your life to follow after Jesus? In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to be right here at the front. And it's an opportunity for you to respond to the Word of God. Right now, the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart. And He is bringing conviction to you. And He's calling you to repent, to turn from your sin, and to turn to this Jesus, the one who died and who rose again, to put your faith in Him to forgive you and to save you, to follow Him as the Lord and King of your life. Give Him all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to be born again, become part of the kingdom of God. This is your chance to come and to make that decision today. Christians, this is an opportunity for you to spend time in prayer about this life-changing moment that you've experienced in your heart and what it would mean for you as you follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we're thankful for your word today. Lord, we're thankful for Jesus who was obedient to death, even death on the cross. But God, you gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee would bow, those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, he was willing to suffer and die, but you raised him up. He's exalted for all of eternity. And God, I pray that he would be exalted in this place right now. Lord, as Christians, Lord, come to grips with this life-changing moment and understand in even a greater way the extent of their salvation. God, they would give all their heart, soul, mind, and strength to serve you and to follow you, to love you unashamedly. God, I pray for those that are here that have never made this decision in their heart to follow Jesus that that life-changing event would happen for them right now. The day that would change their lives. Lord, that they'd be willing to step out in obedience and say, I need you, Jesus, to forgive me today. Here I am. I want to follow you. We pray it in his name.